Hi, my name is Shruti. And my name is Julie. And this is a podcast of convenience. So we're here again recording episode number three of our podcast about romance novels. Hi, Julie. Hi. This is wild. I can't believe we've done three of these already. I'm very proud of us for maintaining focus on reading, which doesn't seem like much of a task for, I think, probably you or me. And I mean, we're kind of cheating because these first three episodes have been books that we've read before and now are just reading again because we liked them or or hated them. This one is a good one, though. We loved this one. I love this book. It is it is a very comfortable place that I go to very often. And as far as like actually picking a book, because I don't feel like we really picked Ice Planet Barbarians. They Ice Planet Barbarians picked us. <laughs> they took Ice us. Ice Planet Barbarians just happened to us took us on kind of a journey but this book inflicted upon us yeah by the internet i'm not Mm -hmm. mad about it but it definitely wasn't something i stumbled upon just like looking for books but this one um probably should intro the book that we're doing today which is wolf song by tj clune wolf song it is so so good and it is a romance novel and it is an lgbtq plus romance novel which is even better. And of course, my dogs have chosen this very moment to wig out. So I'm sorry if you hear barking in the background. I don't hear anything, but okay, I'll good. take your word for it. They're the maybe, worst. Maybe the mic will pick it up. Hopefully not. Um, <laughs> Julie, when did I tell you to read this book the first time? Do you remember? Okay, well, it was when only the first two were out, I want to say, because I remember having to wait for the third and fourth. Yeah, I think the fourth one got extra delayed because of COVID. Um, I think I, yeah, I only waited like a month for the third, but then I had to wait, you know, like a year and a half, two years for the fourth, if I remember correctly. So if there's any internet people who care, which I doubt they will care, you can do the math from that (laughs) and figure out when this this book came out. Um, It's a great book. It is a paranormal romance, which I'm a huge fan of. It's more than just a romance novel in my mind. I feel like the romance is part of it, and the sexy scenes don't even, like, show up until about, like, 80% towards the end of the book. So if, if you're looking for, like, a book that's very sexy and about that kind of stuff, I would say this is a little bit less of that, and it's a found family. I say it's, like, love in all of its forms because it's not just um, romantic love, but it's familial love, particularly found family love which is love in all of its forms is like the perfect way to describe this it's literally just like it's got action and it's got like gruesome shit in it but at the same time it's just like a hug like it's a hug in a book and it's like it makes you cry because I definitely read it again for the fifth time and I cried again (laughs) at certain parts that just um broke me up and this is actually one where I'm gonna say you know I I don't want to discourage people from listening to our podcast but we're definitely going to spoil stuff, and so if you're interested in a, a paranormal, werewolf, uh, found family, queer, romance, love story that spans, like, a person's lifetime and a, a person's self-discovery, I love this book. I feel like I'm just going on and on. Then No, read, it's amazing. Read the book, and then come back and listen to the episode, and then we can talk about it all together. Yeah, we're going to be real spoilery with pretty much all the books we read, but um, this one is definitely worth reading first so that we don't ruin any really emotional moments. All right, well, that's our big spoiler warning. So let's start talking about the book. Um, you want to do like a little, a, a brief plot recap? Yeah, 
So this story follows a character named Oxnard Matheson. He is the protagonist of the book. And the entire book is from his perspective. And then subsequent books are from other characters' perspectives. So we don't follow him for all books. But he is in all four books. So it's pretty much following this pack of, spoiler alert, werewolves. It's about werewolves. But Ox isn't a werewolf in this book. He goes by Ox and... He's just this kid in Oregon um, with a mom and a dad, and they grow up in this, like, or he grows up in this super, super small town, like, with, like, a one streetlight kind of town. His dad's a mechanic, mom works at the diner, and he's, he's definitely kind of an ostracized character from the very beginning. He's, you know, slow. His dad is very cruel to him um in his childhood and so he grows up with just a lot of self-esteem issues and people being so mean and he's a huge dude and he just kind of takes it you know for the vast majority of the book he's just taking whatever life throws at him and one day after his father has taken off and it's just him and his mom at this house in the woods a little boy is on the road on the way home and he realizes his family has moved in at the house next door and then um it's just such a convoluted book there's so much that's going on where would you take it from there in this plot summary um yeah i mean we don't have to go into too too gritty of detail but um basically he befriends this little boy little boy i think there's like a six-year difference between them so he's 16 and the kid's 10 and it's like what I would consider unusual for them to be best friends, but they are best friends. And then later on, you find out that there are reasons that they forge this bond. So immediately due to... uh, Mystical moon magic? (laughs) Mystical moon magic. I was going to say Ox helping him overcome his trauma and stuff like that. And um, basically just uh, they become best friends. Um, Ox gets immediately accepted into uh, the kid Joe's family and... um, I mean, they're werewolves. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna find out at some point that they're werewolves. Um, it's awesome. They are not like oh, you know what? They, I was gonna say they're not like um, old old school horror movie werewolves, but they kind of are because they can either do full werewolf shift or they can do like a half man, half wolf kind of right. shift thing. Um, and they're like big big ass wolves, um, and they are werewolves, and they like run on the full moon, and they have like their their pack is how they refer to their family and 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 ox of course he's immediately basically accepted into their pack and while that is wonderful and he and his mom you know find their place in the world kind of with these people it's of course got to have conflict and so it's also an extremely dangerous world in that there are um bad guys bad Bad guys yeah there's there's werewolves that want this family dead um in this world there's also witches and they imply that there are other things, although I think those are really the only two supernatural beings that we encounter, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, it's basically just the story of Ox and this new family that he has sort of adopted, and they are fighting back against this one werewolf who wants to kill them all in order to take over as um, the sort of alpha of all the werewolves, which Joe's father happens to be. Um and it's, again, it's got really gruesome moments if you're not a fan of, like, any mentions of blood or anything. Like, there are fights and there are deaths and there's gruesomeness. But there's also just, like, 
extremely, incredibly, like painfully sweet moments sprinkled in there too. And very funny moments. It's it's kind of got it funny all. Moments as well. I've laughed out loud yeah. in this book. I've rolled my eyes at some of these characters. You definitely feel like you get to be a part of it. It doesn't feel like I'm just reading a book. It feels like, oh, I'm part of this now. I'm part of this world. I'm in it. I'm immersed. And um, this is so cheesy, but I really do like this book. I'm like, I'm part of the family. <laughs> I'm no, part of this world. No, it's super immersive. You're right, though. Um, so I, I want to like address that it's written in a really unusual style. It's it's not just like third person narrative. I mean, it is, but it's like it's also wolf know. wolf person narrative. It goes into yeah. a weird weird writing style. It's a very weird writing style, and I I want to say when I started reading it the first time, I was like, what? And then as soon as I adjusted to it, I I quickly adjusted to it, and when I did, I I came to really like it. Um, it's it's very stylized. There are um, there's like a limited psychic connection between these wolves, not so much that they can be like, oh, hey, Joe, what are you doing after lunch? But it's like they can. It's like, like an emotional emotions. connection. Yeah. They can sense emotions. They could sense if like somebody's in danger, things like that. Um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of that in the narration, just like italicized sort of vibes that you get from the other wolves. Um, and there's a lot of I think my it's actually my favorite thing about it. There's these weird little. I feel like they like montage in book form somehow. Like there's these very cinematic seeming um, bits where like they'll be talking about a scene that happens and then it'll sort of roll into little snapshots of other scenes. Um, and then it'll, you know, like flick through a few different really descriptive, but really, really, really brief moments that tell you like a, a bigger picture story. And then it'll come back and, and delve deep into like a, a full scene again. And I think that's really really weird and really cool the way that it's written it makes me think of a movie basically um which is funny because i don't think this would translate well to a movie because of all the weird psychic wolf shit that's also happening it would be terrible you know it's one of my pet peeves i actually really dislike generally um romantic novel translations to film because i feel like most romance novels aren't entirely plot driven they're all very internal um what's going on in a character's head that really drives the story forward in a romance novel because it's not the plot, it's the character development that really is like the fun part. And in movies, you can't do that. An internal monologue that's like external always feels really crazy and forced and uncomfortable. And I know they're doing an adaptation of The Hating Game and I'm thinking of that very specifically because I'm like, this is going to be a terrible movie. You can't translate this to film. I love The Hating Game too. I know, but it's going to be so stupid. No, I mean... No offense if you like movie adaptations of romance novels, but I no, historically it, like have you not. said, yeah, if there's a plot driven one, um, I think it can translate pretty well. But if it's if it's a character driven one, it takes like an insanely good screenwriter um, and director and editor to make it um, to make the characters be what we are really liking about it while also preserving the, the content of the book. Um, yeah, I have like not a, really seen it done successfully either. A really, really, really terrific set of actors who can convey everything. I will say, like, Pride and Prejudice, specifically the 2000-whatever, 2002-2003 version, um, excellent book adaptation. I feel like, right. I don't know why those ones are always so good. Um, people really can translate that one, but I don't think this would be great as a movie. I like it better as the movie in my head. I like it better as a movie in my head, too. And it's just funny with how cinematic... Like, there's moments where I was like, oh, that's like a sitcom. And there's moments where I was like, oh, that's like an action movie montage. And, like, there's just so many 
moments that I think belong in a movie, but the whole thing wouldn't translate well. There's just those really good moments. Yeah, which is great because when you're reading it, it really just, I feel like it grounds it nicely in a imagery kind of way where you can really get into it. Yeah. Can I tell you a funny story? A funny sidebar story? It's not a funny story. It's just a story about when I read this book. Um, Because I feel like I'm going on and on about how much I love it. And there's like another layer to why I love it so much. Um, So the first time I tried to read this book, I couldn't. Because the writing style was kind of weird. And I was like, I'm not going to read this right now. This is taking too much brain power. I'm going to put it down. And so I put it down. And I have Kindle on my phone. And that's how I do a lot of reading when I'm traveling. And I was on vacation with... Our friends, Jamila Kiyom. I was the third wheel on their romantic uh, married couples vacation because I was like, come with me. <laughs> and you guys are in Europe and I want to go to Europe. So come with me on a vacation. So we did. And we were in Dublin in a youth hostel at night. And next to the youth hostel was like an alley. So it was all of us in bunk beds and stuff. And next to the alley, like across the way, was a pub that was playing live music. It was late at night, and we're, like, trying to get to bed, but it's loud as hell. And so we can't. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to pick up this book, and I'm going to start reading it because I'm on vacation, and I'm it's late at night, I can't sleep. So I was just reading this book. And forever, in my mind, whenever I pick up this book, it's like I'm in a foreign country, and I can see the light outside. It's like an instantly transporting experience. And I just love that because in my head, it's like, I remember the band playing Mr. Brightside in a pub in Ireland. And I had just had like a Guinness for the first time in my life, like at a pub in Ireland. All these like great memories from that one night. And it's like, dang, I'm a werewolf and this is great. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a werewolf and I'm in Ireland and all these great memories just kind of go together. So when I picked it up again, I was like, boom, I'm right back there and... That's really cute. Sidebar, because I also had a hard time getting into it, but now when I got into it, it was like just the right moment, and then it's forever entwined in my memories. I don't have a cute moment of when I started reading it. I was probably just like sitting on my couch and doing nothing. Another sidebar about the couch, <laughs> Julie, let me tell you, because again, I was thinking about it today, because I'm like, what are we going to talk about this book and, you know the podcast you know it's a great book but what else can we talk about and I just remembered um like last year during quarantine I like rediscovered like romancing myself as an activity that romance is not necessarily like a romantic act between you and a romantic partner but for me romance is I'm sitting on the couch reading the book that I want to read with the tea that I want in, you know, and even those small, very mundane moments are like lovely in your mind forever. You're making mine into something it wasn't, but I love it. I'll take it for it. Yeah, I will take it. I'll do it. I'm going to (laughs) choose to believe that I was like actually sitting on my porch and it was like raining and, uh, some soft jazz was playing and I was no, but like even it. if you're like hiding under your covers like a troll just staring at a brightly lit phone <laughs> like it's the activity of doing something for yourself that's like it is like self-care but it's also I like to think of it as kind of like this is the thing that I do to take care of me but like, I just call it romance and I don't know why like I'm being romantic to myself I love that yeah Has there's definitely books I read there's books I read to fill time and then there's books I read to like 
rejuvenate a part of me that is missing. Like, I don't know if it's the creative part or I don't know if it's like the passionate part or what it is, but like, you know, sometimes just the day to day, like going to work and coming home and going to sleep, like drains you a little bit. And books like this recharge that whatever in me, it's like a genuinely a wonderful, wonderful story. Yeah. Can you, because I did read this with a a more critical eye than I ever have because I generally am not critical when I'm reading romance novels because it's not something I want to do. But because I was like, oh, we're going to talk about it. I'll read it with a little bit more of a critical eye this time around. Can you think of anything critically that you'd want to call out in the book? Um, yeah. Well, so I, it's funny because like in terms of plot structure, I had no problems in terms of like story and character. In terms of character, I had no problems. There's like one story beat that I found kind of problematic and yucky. Um, and that is like, so these characters do meet when they're slightly different stages of their lives. And I don't care because I love like when people are when characters are kids and then they grow up and then they fall in love but there's um there's like a Olsen twins countdown clock moment where they're like yeah he's only 17 you have to wait till he's 18 and like the whole family knows that they're in love but they're like don't fuck my son until he's 18 (laughs) in obviously more elegant words and it was it was like that I found that extremely yucky yeah second reading that's kind of one there's one of two things that was one I was gonna call out and it was kind of that there is if you are, I mean, it's like Ice Planet Barbarians, because these are werewolves, biologically, that's different. But also, does this make me think of grooming a little bit? Like, a little bit? A little bit. And a then I'm like, bit. but, yeah. you know, it's, until you said it, but yeah. Yeah. And I mean, again, I because I'm reading this with a critical eye versus the way I would normally read it, which is just suspend all disbelief and just have a good time. That's kind of why I picked it up, because I'm like, yeah, okay. The entire time I was like, okay, so he's, you know, 10 and you're 16 and you guys are just friends. And then it kind of continues. And because we're in his head, we know that he's not grooming him because we're in his mind. And we know that Joe has essentially like picked his soulmate at a very young age because of magical, mystical wolf things. So I, I know he wasn't grooming him intentionally, but did the thought pop into my head that could this read like grooming... Yeah, a little bit. So yeah, from, to- from an outside respect, they they also did, in all fairness, push that Joe fell in love. Ox did not for a very long time. Joe yeah. was like, "Hey, dummy, do we love each other or not?" And right. Ox was finally one day like, "Oh shit, I guess I do see you as a sexual being." But then the whole, but he's seventeen and I can't do anything happened, which was fine until the whole family got involved and was like. Oh, you know, you know the rules, Ox. You gotta wait till he's 18. And like, so it gross. was very gross and weird. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I yeah. had to call that out. And then there was one more. I just wanted to call him out super fast so that I can just like rip off the bandaid and then move on with the parts that I really liked. Do it. Um, representation in this book is phenomenal for the LGBTQ community. Representation for people of color. And I... I will say this book was written again in a different time. So, like, you know, there's one. Was it? When was this written? I like it was a, fairly recent. Like the 2010s, I think. Mid 2010s. <laughs> okay, is that, is that it's a different not, time? Oh, no. <laughs> and again, I'm a person of color, so, you know, I'm always going to be just a, like, just a little sensitive to it. But I will say well, there's one. There's one in the, at least the first book. I did continue reading again. I, I read the second one. 
because I wanted to and I was just in the mood. Um, there was one person of color and that's Rico. Mm-hmm. And in our other book club, we had just read Red, White, and Royal Blue to mixed reviews. That was not a fan favorite in the group. And one... Mexican person did read Red, White, and Royal Blue, and his critique of that book is going to be the same critique that I have of Rico, which is why do you keep throwing in so many Spanish phrases, kind of like, it just felt like very forced. And then in the second book, you learn that Rico has been in Oregon since he was a small child. (laughs) Why does Rico speak so much Spanish with his white friends? Like, I'm a brown person, and I hang out with not Indian people. And I don't really slip in a lot of, um, like, oh, I'm going to say pendejo, like, every third page, you know? And so, again, because I am being critical, I would say it just reads like a white person writing a brown person. Which it is. Which it is. And I'm not going to be mad about him attempting to write a person of color because you wrote one. And that's better than a lot. That's better than most. But, hey, you know, just... If you find that kind of stuff a little cringy, it's a little cringy. You will find it cringy here. As it's well. a little yes. cringy, but again, I will say like Rico is one of my favorite characters in the book series. I think he's a delightful human that's, being. That's just it. They, they, he he wrote a very interesting character, and then in in attempting to add culture, which he should do, and diversity, yeah, it's, it came across a little funky. This is an absolute side note, but I have to it's tell you place. before I forget. Yep. Um. In our last episode, or I guess in the first episode, we talked about um, Ruby Dixon, the author of Ice Planet Barbarians, and how she had a lot of forced diversity in her series, in that it was like inaccurate and sort of bad, like almost offensive. In fact, definitely offensive at times. Yeah, that was more stereotyping. This is a little bit. This isn't stereotyping. This is just no, totally. Slipping in that, Spanish. They, this one was just. This one was just kind of misguided, but that one was like gen- genuinely offensive. But yeah. in one, I'm still reading Ice Planet Barbarians. In one of the later books <laughs> in the series. Like her, she always does like an afterword, um, which is just her talking to her fans. It's literally like fanfiction.net. Um, but she did in one of her afterwards apologize for making one of the characters, I think it was a Guatemalan character, and she was like mixing up the cultural heritage of, of another Latin American country or something. Um, and she was like, I'm really sorry. I like, I should have gotten somebody who was Guatemalan to tell me about this and for this next character I have who's a person of color I'm going to speak I'm going to have like a cultural guide or you know someone someone to guide me through it so she's learning question mark so she's actually learning and I was very proud of her for that that's good yeah it's only 28 books too late, but still, it's better than nothing. We love a, we love a change. We love I want to sidebar so hard to the IPBU universe, uh, but we can't because that's not what we're talking about today. I mean, I just did it. <laughs> no, I know, but I'm like, oh, because I don't, I'm out. I've officially left the universe after Grant. I can't do it. I'm done. And Julie keeps sending me passages um, from the series <laughs> just to laugh at, and I want to talk about it, but you know what? Maybe we'll do another episode down the line on just ice kind of barbarian catch up but today we're talking about the town of green creek oregon and yeah i was also going to say in all fairness like if i don't know if tj clune is from oregon because i feel like several of his books are set in similar like maybe oregon or like pacific, maybe Northwest pacific northwest yeah and like <laughs> to in all fairness to him there, there's just a fuckload of white people up here like he probably didn't have a, a lot of people to guide him through that process um, yeah. Because Jesus, there's just it's overwhelmingly white up here. Yeah, and um, I will say from like an inclusivity perspective, 
it's a deeply inclusive book. I would feel like he wouldn't have done anything offensive on person. On per- oh, yeah. On purpose, no, not on person. Um, and I read, like, the back of the book. I follow him on Instagram um, for many years just because I like your werewolf book series and I want to know what you're writing. But he's, like, a queer person writing queer literature. So I feel like that part was written very comfortably like I didn't get any cringy vibes off of the romance or the love portion of it it was just two very small things other, for me other than the 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 18 countdown thing well that was part of the one out of the two was yeah. Rico's consistent use of Spanish to his white friends who don't really understand Spanish um and then and then the grooming thing which is a little uncomfortable other than that now I want to put that part down because I feel like I <laughs> I gave you guys my critical stuff, but I don't want to be that critical of this book because I just like it yeah, so much. Yeah, we have to acknowledge the yuck, but at the same yeah. time, like, there's a lot more good. And that's the fun part to talk about in this particular episode. Yeah. Julie, who's your favorite character in the book? So, that's a big question. Um, yeah. Okay, so the other thing I feel like we should do is sort of set aside the other books in the series because God, that, that's hard. I just reread it the second very one. hard. Yeah, I feel like it might it might make us end up too sort of deep, and we want to sort of focus on this that's first fair. one. I have, um, I have struggled with that question. I think, I think it's going to be Gordo. Gordo is my favorite character. Is what I'm going to say until you remind me of another one who I might love more. Gordo is Ox's like brother slash kind of father figure. Um, he gives him a job at the same mechanic where his father used to work. Um before he ran out on them and Gordo is um, sort of the one who takes care of him and his mom until the werewolf family comes along and then eventually um, he sort of melds in with them as well although there's a lot of a lot of backstory that comes into play in future books where Gordo already knew the family and he was actually in fact in love with a member of the family no you're talking about the second book now now we can't go into the second book no I know I'm just saying I'm saying there's like a lot of there's a lot of other stuff that comes up down the line in terms of Gordo, but just in terms of the first book, he is just this very supportive, but emotionally withholding, which I, God, I love it. Um, like <laughs> father slash brother figure. Um, he is definitely the instigator of like bringing Ox into, so Ox, I feel like Ox kind of has two found families where, and then they eventually He has like one. three or four found families. Um, it's amazing. He's got his group of friends at the mechanic. Um, Gordo owns it, and then several of his friends work there. And they are the first, like, group of supportive male figures in his life ever because his dad was a piece of shit. And then they sort of embrace him at a very young age and, and, like, kind of raise him. Um, And then, of course, he's got his werewolf family. And and then further on in the book, they they become one. The the mechanic boys are brought into the werewolf family as well. But... um, can I actually read this? God, there is a part in this. That I did cry at this, actually. I'm remembering this now. There is a part where um, they present Ox with a, an, a shirt with his name embroidered on it, with, like, the mechanic's name on it. Like, And, he, you know, he saw his dad wear this shirt with his name embroidered on it, and it was, like, a big deal to him. It was, like, his badge of honor. And then when he turns old enough to start working at the mechanic, like, legally, because he'd already been there, um, they present him with a shirt with his his name embroidered read it. on it. Read it. It says, um, God. Ugh. Don't cry. Says, we'll cry. Cry and read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, it says, it was reverence, it was grace, it was beauty. I wondered if this meant I could finally breathe, like I had found my place in this world I didn't understand. Embroidered, red, white, blue, two letters, stitched perfectly. Ox, the work shirt read, like I mattered, like I meant something, like I was important. And Dang like, it, I'm tearing up. It's so good. Yep, <laughs> it's so good. And then they all just like stand around him and he cries and they cry with him. It's just like there's not oh my gosh. of toxic masculinity in Julie. this other than the father who fucks off in the first 10 pages. And it's Julie, excellent. Dude, it's one of the things I was literally thinking of that I wanted to bring up was, okay, so you know how on TikTok there's that trend where they're saying, we love men, but do we love men or do we love men written by women? Have you seen that trend? It's going around like book talk and like movies Absolutely. and all that stuff. And yeah. um, now they're doing that whole thing where it's like, oh real life men who are written by women and i'm like no dude that's not how it works it's actual <laughs> because that doesn't exist i mean anyways don't they don't exist yeah there's there's too much toxic masculinity but anyways so historically in the romance like this is in the romance world this is the first book i've ever read that was written by a man that i enjoyed because like i'm not gonna read nicholas sparks i don't like the movies i don't really want to read the books no, and it, again if you're a nicholas sparks fan i'm not gonna begrudge you that because obviously they're supremely popular and people oh, yeah. do like them but it's just not my vibe i hate books that end with like cancer and death i'm like that's not what i'm here for i'm here for happy times only or happy times at least at the very end it gets happy um but tj clune human man or I, I'm presuming, because it's been a while since I've looked at his pronouns, but presuming human, I don't want to presume his, now I'm like, I don't want to presume it. Regardless. I'm actually going to look it up just so Okay. Because if he's like, important. I'm non-binary, then I'm like, this, this makes my whole argument fall flat. But well, while you're looking that up, I'm going to say that the way that TJ Klune has written, not just like the male characters... But the way that the male characters are affectionate towards each other, and then you have that one kind of foil in the book of Ox's father, and he told Ox when he was a kid, and I'm not quoting from this uh, page, so you forgive me, but, you know, real men don't cry, essentially. Or, like, men don't cry. And he said it to him as a kid. And so mm -hmm. throughout the book, like, in moments where Ox is getting emotional and crying, he keeps saying, I guess I'm not a man yet. I guess I'm not a man yet because I'm crying. I guess I'm not a man yet because I'm crying. And then it's, like, the most beautiful thing because throughout the course of the book, his... Oh, it's such a good book. Just read it. <laughs> his... By the way, I'm sorry. I'm cutting in um, yeah. TJ Klune on according to Twitter. Pronouns are he, him. So we're good. Dope. Okay, so he's a man. A queer man. And... He just, he writes male relationships in a way that I wish more male relationships were in real life. That yeah. they could Friendships have... and romantic relationships yeah. and fam familial relationships and not an ounce of toxic masculinity in these boys. No, and they're all just like hugging and crying and being there for each other. <laughs> and it's... It's a lovely, lovely place. And I know that those types of relationships do exist. I just haven't seen too many of them modeled. But, and even in books and movies and real life, just the straight vulnerability on these characters, especially Ox, because he's your protagonist, that he's gone through so much. And the entire book is, you know, I'm trying to think of like how to phrase this, because his father is kind of like the role model of what Ox could have been or could have grown up into. 
And by the end of the book, Ox has kind of taken on a leadership position. I don't know if we want to give all the beats of the book, but we've already really hardcore spoiler warning. Yeah, there's no harm in it. Ox becomes um, an alpha without actually becoming a wolf. It's a whole thing. Um, Unknown in the wolf community. So he creates his own, like, actual pack with some level of nature magic, which I realize sounds kind of stupid when I'm saying it out loud, but I swear it's very poignant and beautiful. And the way... The way that it foils like a traditionally masculine leadership position to like a really emotionally connected and vulnerable leadership. Like what do you really want? I don't know, like any kind of a leader, like the leader of your family, the leader of your job, the leader of wherever you are. Like wouldn't the world be better if they just had that level of compassion that Ox shows for the people in his life? It's it's just, oh, it's lovely. I like it it's so much. Absolutely lovely. Also, I found out that TJ Klune worked in insurance, and that made me feel connected to him as a person, because I work That's in insurance. That's hilarious. Um, no wonder he escaped into this marvelous fantasy as frequently can't, as he could. You can't say stuff like that, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> I love my job. I love my job so much. <laughs> um, can we talk about gender and sexuality and fluidity of it all in this series? Or in this book specifically, I guess. Well, yeah, they introduce um, that like pretty much werewolves in this universe are fluid. So sexuality and gender. I don't know if any of the characters really played around with gender at the time. Um, at least in the I first. Think the book. gender identities were all pretty much the ones that they were assigned at birth. Um, yeah. In this particular series. And again, I feel like I wasn't really super aware of all of the different presentations of gender until last couple years myself. So I can't really hold people accountable for things that I didn't even know. And again, I feel like if he, if he knew about it, he would have, you know, it feels like that kind of a book where he would have included as much as he could, but you know, a lot of bisexuals or I think they just call it fluid. They're like, wolves are fluid. I think by definition, all of these wolves are, are bisexual or pansexual in that, um, like I know Ox, the main character, sleeps with men and women, um, you know, in, in terms of what we see in the book, he mm-hmm. sleeps with at least one woman and several men. Um, all the other, all the other books are, are gay romances, um, which are all members of the pack and the family. Um, one character and then, in another book is a lesbian. Yeah. A side character who doesn't have her own book, but is a member of the pack is a lesbian. Yeah. I think pretty much every romantic relationship except two of them in the entire pack are um, queer. And that's very cool. There isn't, it's, I think it's refreshing when there isn't like a lot of hullabaloo around that. Like it's, it's accepted pretty much immediately by pretty much everyone. I want to say it's kind of like Shit's Creek before Shit's Creek. I remember interviews with Dan Levy, Levy, that, he would talk about the world of Schitt's Creek as in, like, this is an ideal world where none of that is problematic or going to cause issues in society. So, like, Schitt's Creek is a place kind of like Green Creek where it's like, oh, there's just a bunch of gay people and we're totally fine. And we're not even going to bring it up like it's, like, it's not like, oh, my God, my son is, yeah, like you were saying, like, my son is gay, oh, my God. He's like, I think I like dudes sometimes. And she's like, okay, do I need to get you condoms? (laughs) 
Yeah, at some point, even earlier than that, she says, you're going to make someone very happy someday. And he mm-hmm. specifically notices it and says, oh, he didn't say some woman very happy. He said someone. She said someone. Um, so, like, it's whenever, when each of these consecutive men fall in love with another man, it's not like, oh, shit, now Kelly's gay. Oh, shit, now Carter's gay. It's just like, that's the person they love. Good for them. Yeah. Um, they only the only time that they even really approach it is that they joke. They're like, "We have a very gay pack. Like, we just happen <laughs> to have a lot of gays in our pack," um, which is like charming. And and it's not. I mean, it's like how many more books do we want to read where the queer character gets like bashed or harmed or or harassed? It's like it's an unfortunate reality of our world. And it, once again, occasionally the escapism of like a s- socially perfect city where they don't they're really not bothered by any of that because it's i mean if they can accept werewolves they can accept anything (laughs) that's true that's very true i love this town i want to go find this town yeah they do they do accept the werewolves as well they learn about it eventually but you have to wonder like i don't know the way that we stumble upon literature now is very different than it used to be because you used to have to go to like the library and whatever books are on the shelves like that's what you're getting exposed to or um, you and I, we're going to date ourselves a little bit. We're in our early 30s. We were very not that young when fan fiction started. So I, I kind of remember when things started getting accessible. Like I remember when Kindle was new and Am- Amazon was new. And I was <laughs> like, I can get a book for free, like whatever. So I wrote a lot of trash books in the early days just because they were free and I had no money because I was a college student. And I don't know, zero dollars and zero cents is a great way to buy books to read. A lot of them were super, like, paranormal or supernatural kind of books. And I, my kind of hope is that because we have the online resources to find these kinds of books, that there hopefully are going to be some younger people out there who can read books like this. Um, I mean, again, there's, like, pretty graphic gay sex scenes towards the end but hey that's nothing that kids aren't being exposed to on the internet anyways because fan it's very fi- true I, if they're old enough to read fan fiction they've read way more graphic depictions of sex than the yeah than this is actually it's 100 graphic it's very graphic <laughs> but i would also feel that it's a very loving um like i'm personally not yeah. like i wasn't like super turned on like oh wow this is really doing it for me because i'm just not that's not what does it for me you know um but it was very loving and romantic, and I think, like, you know, the world is a very big place, and we definitely have more access to different types of communities than maybe what we would be born into. So hopefully some kid somewhere, or teen, I don't know. I was reading stuff more graphic than this when I was, like, a young kid, and I think I'm okay. Oh, well, I, I would hope that teenagers would read this, because, it's again, the sex is, sex is natural, but, like, there's also a lot of like murders and violence and stuff like that i was again i feel like well then again my mom my mom raised me on holocaust documentaries when i was like a child (laughs) oh my god can i tell you something wild sentence was a nightmare so i went home um last week to visit my family and my mom has a new hobby oh no and i'm not gonna give her any shit for it because again i listen to all sorts of um documentaries about all sorts of things and podcasts but she has discovered Holocaust survivor podcasts and she listens to them all the time. Like this is the reason why I am the way I am. And so when I was home, she was doing the dishes and there was just like a victim of the Holocaust describing the Holocaust. And she was just listening. Please this pie. Like this is how I relax. 
Oh. I was like, Mom, we are the same. Uh, I mean, it's not worse. Yeah, it's not worse than the true crime that you listen to constantly. No, it's either. definitely not worse. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's just like the thing that she's fixated on since she was very young. Um, and I fixated on other things like true crime, which is kind of an extension of that level of violence and horror. And also the Holocaust for a while. Um, yeah, same. But anyways, what I'm trying to long way around say is that I don't think the sex scenes are that graphic. And I think that this kind of a world is a lovely place to go to. Um, regardless of graphic sex scenes. Like, I remember the first sla- slash fiction I read. I was 12 years old. And we didn't have smartphones and we did not have... Um, anything like that so one of our high school friends or junior high friends printed out harry and draco slash fiction and brought it to school do you remember that you probably don't i don't but that's i remember because it was the first time i'd ever read anything like that and i I went to pe like after lunch and i was just in my head like i am different now (laughs) (laughs) i am not the same was it Lizette? Lizette has it made was, me a different person now. It was Lizette. She <laughs> um, exposed me to a lot of wand metaphors that I was just, I mean, I don't know why. It was just, it was different than the uh, little novels my mom kept in the house where I would kind of gloss over it at that age because I just felt like I was uncomfortable reading like really graphic sex scenes. Um, and then after that, I was like, I, I got nothing to say. <laughs> This is who I am now. I've seen some things. Now I'm comfortable with graphic sex scenes. That was all it took. Harry Potter slash fiction. Aw. Still thinking about it. Carrying my freaking PE clothes to the gym and just literally in my head going, I don't feel the same. Oh my god. It was like that moment you grew up. Yeah, I, I think it really was. Reading Harry Draco slash fan fiction. I was very aggressive. She was already super into it, and I was like, I don't know what to do with this information. (laughs) Anyways, um, high school was fun. (laughs) And then the shit that we read later on in high school would have made that that version of Shruti, like, just dropped it on the spot. Oh my gosh, she was so little and so sweet. She didn't understand. anything. No, I feel like the kids now, like, um, they just got whatever they want on the internet anytime, you know. My uh, nieces, I saw them, they were taking selfies, and they're all, like, eight years old. That's uh, normal now, I guess. It is! It is, and they were very cute, and, like, it's not like they did that the whole time. It was just like, oh, they just were taking selfies, because that's what they do now um, at that age. And, I mean, yeah, live your life, guys. It's hey, cute. it's not harmful. Like, it's not, it's not like, oh, kids these days just do meth from ten years old. Like, it's, no. it's selfies. It's fine, yeah. It's it's cute. I liked it. I gave, and the thing is, I also gave them stickers, because I ordered a bunch of stickers off of Amazon, like a 12-pack of sticker packs, and I just, like, laid them out. I'm like, you guys are eight. Do you guys still like stickers? And they lost their goddamn mind over these stickers. And then my brother... Okay, that makes me feel better. Yeah, they were, like, sticking them, and I, I found out that now they have stickers where you can, like, peel and stick and peel and stick, and they don't just, like, ruin things. And they gave us, they gave me stickers. I had a sticker with a dog on it. It was very cute. And my brother brought um, paper, they're not paper, they're like that little styrofoam paper planes where you kind of assemble them from like the ice cream truck. Do you remember those kind of um, planes? No. 
you'd get them at the ice cream truck for like a dollar probably more expensive now and then they're like little st- i realize i'm sitting completely in the dark you can't see me i cannot see you at all <laughs> I'm, cl- I'm like demonstrating with my hands as a shadow in the darkness so they're like a paper plane and then you stick pieces like on the top and they have like a little propeller oh he, no i never played with this he bought a 30 pack of them and he gave everyone paper planes or foam planes and he told me before we got there, he's like, I want to be the uncle where, like, I always have planes, and then they're going to remember me as the plane uncle. <laughs> That's a super weird niche, but it somehow suits him very well. Well, he's an engineer, so I thought it kind of went with his whole vibe. And it's so funny, because my uncles, who are older than us, like, my uncles, were like, can we play with the planes? Oh, cute. I love that. It's so, like, there's a group of 20 people outside just, like, playing with planes. It was very entertaining. And the kids are running around sticking stickers on everything. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you guys take selfies. But at, at the core of it, you're just you're just like little kiddos. That's very cute. I haven't seen them in two years. It was very nice to see them. Julie, I didn't tell you my favorite character was also Gordo. So I have nothing to add in terms of favorite characters. Oh, okay. Okay. Gordo is the best. Oh, and just like, not to talk about the second book. But if you... <laughs> but we're gonna. If you love childhood love stories but like there's a huge betrayal and you have to overcome and I, I just feel like TJ Klune really writes betrayal and the feelings of heartbreak because even in the first book heartbreak is a huge part of it he writes it so well to the point where I'm just like I feel I feel it, you know, and he uses colors a lot to describe emotions because of the wolf thing. And I'm just like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about when you're talking about feeling the color green or feeling the color blue or violet later and red and all these different colors. Um, It's used so effectively, almost repetitively when you've read it six times, probably not the first time. But then I think, like, oh, is it repetitive or is it the wolf thing? Because that's how a wolf mind would maybe process, like, the like the feedback loop of being in, like, a psychic connection with a group of people. You know, like, I feel green, then you feel green, then we all feel green. And, like, that means something to us. Anyways, he writes emotions so well. Yeah. There's, all of it. There's certain tropes that just, like, fuck my life up. Um, and I feel like he, like, knew me personally and put all of them in this fucking book series like i love me too (laughs) right i love a um character knowing they're gonna die and going out into battle anyway uh moment like that's it i can pinpoint the self-sacrifice yeah i can pinpoint the moment that that fucking happened i probably told you this already but if anyone read the red wall series when they were children it's a bunch of fucking it's like a medieval fantasy where the characters are all mice and rats and rabbits and shit. It sounds weird. And it was, um, and there's a scene where three characters basically, um, need to cause a distraction among these pirates in order for somebody else to get their captives out. Like, you know, the cap, the little mice who have been taken captive and free them. And they know that like, Oh, there's 50, you know, pirates and three of us were going to die. And then they go and, you know, they go do it anyway, and they're, like, laughing with each other and joking and, like, trying to keep, like, really upbeat, even though they know that they're all about to die. And then, I think two of the three do. I think one of them might live. But, um, but like, wow, that... Actually, way to spoil Redwall. Oh, yeah. By the way, don't read Mariel of Redwall <laughs> if you 
wait, go back in time and <laughs> spoilers for Burial of Redwall. But um, from like 1999. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't read Redwall by now, come on, I'm allowed to spoil them. Um, I'm just joking. But no, that was the moment where that particular trope sunk into my mind and did not let go. Um, and they do that. Ox has a moment where he goes off to fight the bad guy alone because he thinks that that is best. And he, he thinks I'll just die for this cause. And then the bad guy will leave everybody else alone. Oh, which makes it so much worse when you think about the way that Joe is like, Oh my oh, God, so good. the decisions that you're making Oxnard, don't do it. But it's so good too. Like, I can get it. So I good. Why he did and it. then I, okay. I, I don't want to spoil like the last, very last beats of the book because I mean, we like, can't. Right, we're, that's what we're doing. Yeah, we already warned them. Okay, so like when Joe and Ox at the very end, when you think that Ox has made it off the bridge and the bad guy wolf Richard Collins <clears throat> has like, oh my god, when he throws up that like wood that that wooden spike, that like steel pipe thing, the crowbar, and then he hooks these two werewolves together so they're going to burn to death and the bridge collapses and you're like, great. Ox saved the day. He didn't die. Oh my god, and before that, when Gordo shows up, because Gordo is my favorite character, yeah. and he like knew something was wrong with Ox because Ox was being weird and he, that's his tether and that's another werewolf thing that you'll get into if you get into the book. And then at the end, at the very end, when Joe shows up and he's like so mad, like, you did, you did this. You tried to sacrifice yourself and you were going to die. And then all of a sudden, Richard Collins comes out from the back and he shoves his whole hand through Ox. So, like, his blood and viscera is just, like, pooling. And then you don't see it from Ox's perspective. You, like, see Ox looking at Joe, looking at him dying, which is Joe's worst nightmare from his childhood of trauma. And not just dying, but dying at the hands of the man who held him captive. And at this point, Ox and Joe are both fully grown adults. Um, so it's not creepy anymore. It's like they're in their 20s. And um, then Joe beheads Richard Collins. And you're Tears just like, is, is Ox going to die? And that's the question. And in that moment, I'm just like feeling everything. I'm feeling oh every God. single emotion. It's so well written. The other trope, like, just basically happens right after that. The other trope that um, fucks me up particularly is a character dying or being at the brink of death and being visited by dead loved ones. Um, oh my god, that happens so much in this stupid series. Yep. I hate it so much. It makes me cry. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, we are not going to talk about the second book. No. No, but, but you know one, what I'm I mean, talking about. Right, right. Just to jump off what you just said, Ox mm-hmm. essentially dies or is on the brink of death and then his um, dead the father figure of the family um joe's actual father who died earlier in the book comes to him like in wolf form and he basically implies that like you don't get to come with me right now but you like oh oh god i'm gonna cry they talk about no um, he doesn't say you don't get to come with me right now he says you get a choice but you You get a choice you get a choice if you want to come with me right now but ox is like i need to go back and protect my my people but um there's a moment where he says like in the direction that thomas is going he can hear like other wolves howling to him like the other like all the other deceased members of his pack or just deceased wolves nearby who are like howling like singing him home basically and then he has to decide yeah and then he has to decide to like turn around and go back and i'm just like tj clune that's not nice it's not it's not nice of you to do why you gotta make me cry on a tuesday afternoon this is not very nice (laughs) so brutal and so good uh, I will also say that compared to especially Ice Planet Barbarians, this book has real stakes. Real ass stakes. Everybody yeah. dies. Okay, so another spoiler <laughs> alert. Ox's Not everybody dies. Uh, so Ox's mother, who has joined the pack at some point, gets killed um, at uh, about halfway through the book, I want to say. 
Um, she gets mm-hmm. murdered, and there is again another fuck you up moment where him. she she looks into Ox's eyes and basically tells him silently tells him to run out of the room and save himself, and then she stands up and like tries to fight back, knowing that it is going to kill her. Like this is kind of a similar. She moment. sacrificed herself to yeah. save her son, and then. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know what? We're spoiling everything. So then when, after she dies and after Joe decides to leave with the other wolves, because he decides to split the pack because he's on a revenge mission and he wants to avenge his father and leaves Ox behind with another contingent of the pack. And that the next couple chapters, like years pass in the time that they leave and before they come back and... Years pass in between where Ox is left behind with Joe's mother, who's kind of become his surrogate mother in light of the death of his actual mother, and then Mark, who's um, Joe's uncle, and another really great character who I love, because he's like a soft guy, and I love soft guys. Mm-hmm. Even as a werewolf, I love a soft guy in any romance novel or any book Ditto. series. You show me a soft guy, or like a clown guy, like a, like a goofy side character, and those are like my two favorites. Like a literal really- clown? Show me a literal clown. I know how wet you get for those, Truthy. Truly. <laughs> you know I like face paint. No. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like a joker. Like um, the sidekick guy. Um, oh, not yeah. like the... I'm not really into like super alpha dudes. Sometimes I am. But mostly I like the the sneaky, fun side characters. But anyway, so he gets left behind and then, like, within those chapters that Ox is kind of really left on his own and he has to choose to bring this pack together, you get such an an insider look to what grief feels like and if you've ever lost anyone or been through a life experience that's grieving, it's so painfully accurate. Like, I cried a lot in those chapters just because of the way that he handles grief grief of losing a loved one a loved one and that the blood of his mother like stained the floors of his house and he couldn't go back and when he went back it was just like he went back in with um joe's mom who had lost her husband and she was like a wolf and it had been like a year of her just being a wolf because grief is easier to handle when you're not a human in the lore of this book series and he looks at her as a wolf and says, we're both going to go in there and we're going to do what we have to do. Like, essentially, like, close the door on this chapter of grieving. And when we come out, you have to be human and we have to rebuild. Kind of recognizing that, like, the the grieving was so important, but that all things have to close and yeah. that the living have to keep living. Like, that they can lean on each other and get through it kind of thing. He's like, yeah. we're going to go in there and we're going to have a moment and then we're going to walk out and face it together. Yeah, and we're going to be so strong good. together so because we're not alone, even though we've been. Oh, and it's like, um, are we getting that song that she sings? Oh, no. Are we getting left? Be- oh, are God. we getting left it's behind? A, yeah, it's some song about about um, about being left behind. About when staying, others go to war. About staying behind when others go to war, and and he says staying behind or getting left behind, and she keep she says there's a difference, and, and like it happens twice in the book, and the second time they've yeah. been left behind, and so she's like crying, and she says Ox, there's a difference, and it's just oh like my God. oh the it's worst, so it's so good. <laughs> this is just us talking about scenes and going it's so good over and over again, and I'm I'm not mad about it. But Julie, it is so good. It's like so good. 
And I'm actually happy because a lot of times when I recommend books to you, we just like message about it like over the phone, like, hey, I like this scene or hey, that was a good book, a good recommendation, blah, blah, blah. But today, after like five years of having read this book series, <laughs> I get to sit in a closet and just go, oh my God, Julie, wasn't that so good? It's so good. Oh, I had forgotten about that song. That fucked me like, up. The way that the way that Ox just outgrows everyone and everything and that there are people that belittled him so much in his life, but the people that loved him recognized everything that he was and could be. And by the end of the book, by the end of the book, like even Joe, who is like an alpha wolf and like doesn't, like biologically shouldn't be deferring to um, anyone, like recognizes that like Ox wasn't a wolf. He just was like what they needed and stepped into that position so beautifully and he's like the best and I'm a big fan and he's a cool guy. He's a real cool guy. He's very relatable if you've ever felt. And again, I think this is like a little bit of an allegory for the queer experience Um, or as any kind of a group that's been marginalized that I feel like the way that Ox is and the way that Ox gets to find groups of people that really give him the love and acceptance that maybe he should have had from his father but didn't get that like it is a little bit of an allegory for the queer or marginalized experience because oftentimes you don't get that when you're where you started and you build that as you go on in life and I feel like Ox just the way that he is in the beginning especially you can kind of see that that he's just not fitting into some of the spaces that, like, you know, school and high school. Yeah, and then he when gets, he finds he his found family, and... they beat the shit out of these kids. And I'm like, yeah, you beat the shit out of these bullies, you werewolves. We don't know yeah, if they're werewolves yet, the, but... Yeah, the, t- the two older brothers of the family, um, somebody just says something rude about Ox, and he, like, they, of course, like, slam the kid against a locker and say, like, don't fuck with him, like, he's ours. And that, that's, like, sets the tone for the rest of the book of them all, like, belonging to each other, basically. yeah. Oh, and everyone's, like, so very possessive. They're very possessive, and then they're very, like, maybe not possessive. Well, they are possessive, but, again, I think the fact that, like, having a choice is mentioned about a thousand times in this book, that no matter how much it is magic that could bring us together, you always have the choice to leave, no matter what, you know. You can choose to stay, you can choose to leave, you can choose to fight, you can choose to not fight. Um, and... I think that's kind of a lovely thing in a romance novel, especially because a lot of romance novels like Ice Planet Barbarians don't really emphasize choice as being a part of the love experience. The love experience (laughs) is very, hey, this is the world we live in. It's It's literally the opposite. Ice Planet Barbarians is literally the opposite where the choice is taken from you by a worm that lives in your body. But I feel like this book presents like the opposite of that where there is biology. There is is biology saying that we should be together but at the end of the day like joe and in subsequent books other characters that fall in love with werewolves or are werewolves will say like it's not that we're meant to be you know like it's that we're choosing each other yeah even though my werewolf magic dictates that you are my soulmate and i will walk away and live without you forever if that's what you want which is quite a cool quite a cool thing to hear in a romance novel it's not like oh i would die for you and 
we have to be together and everything is just like out of 10 all the time. You get, you get to choose if you want to be a werewolf and if you want to fall in love with a werewolf and everything that goes with it. And obviously they choose each other because this is a romance novel at the end of the day. And I want them to choose each other and they do. And it's nice. It's beautiful. There's like, I feel like we talked a lot about heavy stuff. There are very lighthearted moments in terms of the romance too. There's a a point where Joe decides he's going to like woo or like court Ox. (laughs) And so she starts bringing him like dead rabbits and things. But then he also, he's like, well, I'm a wolf, but I'm also a man. So like, he alternates like leaving dead rabbits at his door with like sending giant baskets of mini muffins to his work and it's like very funny it's super cute there's a scene where he goes and asks ox's mother for permission to court him um, oh that scene made me cry <laughs> oh it's so good it's so fucking good it makes you cry at the end it's funny but at the beginning, yeah, at the beginning <laughs> you find out like you hear snickering outside the window and it's like a very sitcom-y moment where like all the, the family's all listening at the window because they knew that he was going to go over and ask and they figured this would be disastrous and funny but then, of course, it turns it around where he's like, well, you know, eventually all the shenanigans stop and he just tells Ox's mother, like, what he means to him. And it's fucking beautiful. It's like that perfect romance um, romance movie, romance novel moment of, like, a little bit of fun and games and then, like, a lot of sincerity and a lot of, like, character development and, like, just a truly lovely moment. Um, and then it's just interspersed with, like, extremely badass scenes of, like, fights and stuff like that. it's just got this book has everything it's everything i've ever wanted this book has everything it has it all <laughs> oh man i'm thinking about this. i think that's why my favorite section of the book is and i know i know that it is because when i reread the book i have highlighted parts of the book and bookmarked parts because i want to go back to very specific parts but when ox from the moment that ox realizes that he is attracted to joe until the moment that richard collins comes back and just like goes on a murder rampage <laughs> is my favorite part of the book because it is the most lighthearted kind of gel together part where there's there's like no more drama for that section of it it's just i'm in a rom- like a pure romance novel like the other stakes have been taken away and when ox realizes that he smells like arousal because <laughs> He is suddenly suddenly turned on by, like, Joe, his friend, who's still a kid. He's, like, freaking out. And all the werewolves can smell how everyone's feeling all the time because they're werewolves and they're, like, wolves. And that's kind of a thing that they do. And he freaks out so badly. He wants to get away so bad um, from their, like, Sunday dinner thing. He walks into the side of a house, which I thought was so funny. It's so cute. It's so charming. He turned to walk away and he walked right into the house. It's like so slapstick and stupid. And then, yeah, when Joe figures it out and he's like... Mercilessly teasing him. And the thing is, like, you've known it for a long time at that point. Like, as the reader, like, Ox doesn't get it because it's like, oh, that's my buddy. It's my kid buddy that I'm buddies with. (laughs) But you can see, like, why is Joe so freakishly jealous when Ox goes on a date with anyone? And, like, you know that Joe is in love with Ox for a long time. So when you finally get to the point where Ox has a sudden, like, lightning bolt realization, like, wait a minute. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Oh, no. I like this kid. What am I going to do? And Joe is just like, it's like all of his dreams, all of his dreams have come true. And you can see that. And it's, and the way that they talk to each other is, again, it's that writing style where they don't really talk to each other entirely in the way that normal people would talk to each other. No, it's super, it was unreal. It's great to read. It would be very unrealistic to hear, but like, Mm -hmm. it's fucking fantastic to read. Oh, it's like, 
I would say that this book is just a um, dang emotional roller coaster, but in the best way. And it's long. If you're going Very from long. Ice Planet Barbarians to Wolf Song or any of the books in the series, you're kind of going from like a little novella style book to like an actual full length novel of a book that's fully fleshed out. I would say that there's not really much in this that I was unhappy with. It's it's a delight to read. I got to read it when I was home just every night before bed. I'm like, I don't have my laptop and I'm going to continue reading. Then I like got all the way through Wolf Song and then I reread Raven Song, which is the second book, in about two days <laughs> just because I was at home. And I would say in the book series, the second one is actually my favorite. So because I love that, I love that trope. I love Gordo, and they lay it in so good in the first book that, and it's, it's different than in Ice Planet Barbarians. I hate that we're gonna have to compare everything to Ice Planet Barbarians. We don't Barbarians have to compare everything. It's just that's the, yeah, that's the freshest one in our minds. Eventually, it will I go know. away. I'm gonna start comparing things to this book now because be oh, that's gonna be rough on other books. Not well. Yeah, maybe it's a high bar. I mean, this is I, I picked it first because I love it so much. I'm like, yeah, let's talk about it. Um, I forgot what I was saying. I like it. It's a good book. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Should we have like a rating system for our books? Like a like a yeah. out of ten, like an out of ten or an out of whatever. I think we should do like two different things. I think romance novels kind of come in two different categories, which is like one is going to be like the the sexiness, you know, the spicy factor. Yeah. And then I think the other one is probably like the, the romance factor because those are two separate types of books and sometimes they go together really well but sometimes you know so spicy it's a little spicy, bit more heavy on this side spicy rating and sentiment rating this i'm, yeah. a, I'm gonna give a spicy rating of just like six out of ten. Oh, this is such a hard question because it's like it this it isn't gonna do it for me personally and the parts that i liked about the sex scenes were the romantic factors of it like less like i'm not really thinking about um sex in the way that i think a gay man would think about sex i mean there's only a couple of of raunchy scenes at all i think literally two so like there's two in this one um sex is definitely not the focal point i'll yeah. say so I'll that's, say that's, like, that's the only reason i'm giving it a six is because like it's yeah. they're fine scenes it's not badly written it's just like there's mm-hmm. not very, it's not the focus at all yeah i would i would say maybe even lower like if you're looking for sex scenes i'd say this is like a four or three or four because there's just not that much and even when you do get there if you're not like if that if that's not the kind of thing that works for you then it's just going to be like oh they love each other so much i'm happy for them that's yeah that's a very good point i was so happy for them god i was so happy for them they really (laughs) deserved this (laughs) okay sentimental rating i'm gonna give it a nine oh fucking 10 out of 10 for me i can't you you think there's no better book in the world Julie, am I not allowed to rate things 10? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm asking you to justify it. I'm taking, I'm knocking a point off for, for the weirdness that we talked about earlier. If we do that with every book, then nothing's going to get a 10 out of 10. Because there's always going to be something critical about every romance novel. Dang it, Julie, why you got to second guess my rating system? Um, <laughs> I guess that is the thing. Like, if I want a threshold to go higher than the Wolf Song book series... We haven't read all the or, romance novels. Sorry, Wolf, sorry, Wolf Song book, not the series, the Green yeah. Creek series. Yeah, this is just the um, I, I feel like you're really making... Cause I, <laughs> you can say 10, I'm just fucking with you. 
I'm holding on 10 out of 10. Do it. It's a fucking hoot. And I know that because of the writing style, people are going to be like, this girl's crazy. But you know what? I am who I am, and I'm giving it 10 out of 10. It's an acquired taste, I want to say, the writing style. It took me two readings to get, actually get into it. I couldn't pick it up the first time because the style was so unusual. Same. But if you can, if you can get into it, then, uh, and if you like, obviously all of the same things that I like, then it's a 10 out of 10. It's a banger. It's a great book. It's a great book. I feel like I want to be friends with TJ Klune, like in real life. I feel like we would be friends with TJ Klune. I feel like we're gonna be friends with TJ Klune. Hey, TJ Klune, we know you're listening to this because <laughs> why wouldn't you? We should be friends. Hit us up. <laughs> You can find us at podofconvenience at gmail.com. Yeah, hit us up, TJ Clinton. We want to be your friend. And also, we love your gay werewolves. Also, technically, you live in Oregon. If he lives in Oregon, you guys actually might be I don't, know. I don't actually other. know if he does. I just got the sense. I, I don't know why. I thought one of his other books took place there, too. Also, um, this is I shouldn't talk about another book, but he also wrote House on the Cerulean Sea, which is a fucking fantastic book. Um, I never finished House on the Cer- I shouldn't say this as I'm trying to be TJ Clinton's best friend. <laughs> I'll say I was reading it, like, during the beginning of the pandemic, and I couldn't find joy in anything. It was very hard for me to... That's fair. It's been hard to find joy, but... I only, like, went back and reread all of these books because I knew they would bring me joy. Um, that one brought me a lot of joy, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the gay werewolves, and... I love them. Definitely a must-read. Or I guess we can call them queer, since they're... They're many things. They're many things. They're... They are not non-straight werewolves, and we love them. God, I love them so much. I've, they're just great. And I'm probably going to read the third one. Uh, actually, no, maybe we're going to pick the next book for what what we're going to do for the podcast. And then maybe I'll read that book. So we should probably. Do you have a suggestion? Because I have one, I, one, one possibility, but I'm also open to whatever. I do have a suggestion and it is a Regency era novel. Oh. And I would only suggest it because you've never actually read any Regency romance and our podcast is kind of named after <laughs> the regency era romance and you haven't read one and uh, i actually don't even know the valid. author's name but uh what was your idea before i drop my... i was just gonna drop another one that we've done before that we know we like so i'd ah. rather read something new to be honest so let's do whatever oh, this here it is. is i found it on google because i needed to look up the author so i don't remember critically how good this is going to be. I just know this is one of my comfort novels that I read when I'm feeling down because it is a fun story that I like. And it is called Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a Rake. And it's by Sarah McLean. I love the name. I genuinely. um, It's very Regency, or I would say, I would say Regency. I could obviously be incorrect, but this is what I would call a Regency novel. And you've got, like, dukes and duchesses and that kind of whole deal. It's, sure. It's very Bridgerton. But I'm down. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Will you wanna, like, send me that? Then I will read it and we will talk about it next time. Next time on, next time on pod of a podcast. <laughs> a pod of convenience. We're going to talk about not... I don't think there's actually a marriage of convenience in this book. But the concept <laughs> of marriage find. of... Con- the marriage of convenience concept comes up a lot in this book, but she doesn't end up in a marriage of convenience, so this when is not we'll, entirely... One day we'll read about it, and then our podcast will make sense. Until that day. Until the day. Stick along for this nonsensical ride. Um, we are at podofconvenience at gmail.com if you have suggestions, or if you have meet cutes that you want to share with us real life meet cutes that we will shout out on the podcast 
you might have to wait till the next episode or the episode after to actually hear anything because we haven't posted anything yet. Uh, you might so have if to you're wait. wondering where yeah, those stories even are, longer than that, we haven't posted anything anywhere. We're just recording them forever, apparently. We're waiting on some uh, artwork, and I think after that, you guys are going to get a, a taste of this nonsense <laughs> on some corner of the <laughs> <So> internet. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you like it or not, you're going to have to listen to us talk. No, we'll hang out. We'll talk about books. You can listen to us. Just be really excited about people falling in love. Yeah. Um, email us, and one day we'll actually post it so you can listen to it, and then we would love to talk to you guys. That's it. That's it. We love you, friends. We love you all. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>